The framework provided a sense of order and significance within the spiritual realm. These early Christians were adapting the information that they perceived within their local community as a mirror of the heavenly realms. This is your nautical lantern on the dangerous seas of darkness. Let's push off from the placid shore of the status quo and explore what's beyond the horizon. I am your host, BT, and this is Truth and Shadow, your podcast of the supernatural. Welcome, listeners, to episode three of season one. I wanted to go ahead and begin an interesting episode here. This episode, we're going to introduce Second Temple Judaism and early Christianity and a handful of tie-ins with other philosophers and people who have contributed to this kind of conversation. And I thought now would be a good time to discuss something supernatural. After all, we are a supernatural podcast. And what's more supernatural than the angels and demons and the lore that has grown immensely around them? This is quite the episode, and we're going to cover a handful of different ideas, angiology, demonology, and Second Temple Judaism. We're going to talk about the same in early Christian thought, and then we'll move on to the Church Fathers period of times, which would be 2nd, 3rd century to 10th century. We'll talk about some Thomas Aquinas. The Second Temple period of Judaism is a length of time that we consider about 600 BC to right around 100 AD. These are approximate dates. The more likely is it ended in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple by the Romans. However, peculiarities like that aren't as important. Angiology and Second Temple Judaism is our first topic, and we'll briefly cover this. The concept of angelic hierarchies begins to make its presence known in this time period. Jewish theologians and scholars contemplated a celestial order, a hierarchy. And this was inspired, of course, by the societal structures and most likely built out of a human yearning for order. Within the framework, angels were classified based on their roles and proximity to the divine. They became messengers of the heavenly realm charged with tasks. They offered guidance and provisions of protection. You know, angels became integral intermediaries between human and divine realms, instilling hope and solace in the Jewish community. Uh, demonology in the Second Temple is going to be the opposite. The Second Temple Judaism grappled with the origins of evil entities known as demons. A multitude of explanations emerged, with some attributing their existence to fallen angels. The notion of angels transgressing the divine order to become demons exemplified the intricate interplay of good and evil within the theological landscape. And demons assumed a significant place in the religious consciousness of this era. Accounts of demonic possession, practice of exorcism, permeates the literature of the time. The philosophical exploration of the problem of evil became a pressing concern as the presence of demons raised profound questions about the nature of suffering and the justice of God. This era is also characterized by the rise of apocalyptic literature, Daniel or the Book of Enoch. It's a genre that depicted cosmic battles between the forces of good and the forces of evil. 
one could think of the book of Revelations from John. The apocalyptic worldview was vivid and transformative. It provided a lens through which Jewish people could interpret the struggles and triumphs of their community during a time marked by upheaval and oppression. They were going through the Maccabean Revolt. They went through a Hellenization of their country. The apocalyptic literature often featured angels as bearers of revelation and custodians of esoteric knowledge. The celestial beings extended their roles beyond messengers and they became central figures in the grand drama of the apocalypse. They served as guides, protectors, and witnesses to the divine plan of God. The Book of Enoch, a prominent text from this era, stands as a testament to the fascination with heavenly realms. Enoch, the protagonist of this work, embarked on a celestial journey and encountered angels, offering profound insights into the period's angelology. With Enochic literature, one of the most intriguing narratives is that of the Watchers, fallen angels, who transgress divine boundaries to engage with humanity. The offspring of this forbidden union, the Nephilim, further complicated the theological landscape. The Watcher's narrative delved into themes of transgression and punishment, raising profound ethical and moral questions. Then, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 20th century unveiled a treasure trove of insights into the beliefs and practices of the Qumran community. Among these scrolls were references to angels, reaffirming the enduring significance of these celestial beings in the religious life of this ascetic sect that would be the Essenes. Angels played a role in the rituals, highlighting their importance in the pursuit of purity and holiness. The meticulous observance of these rituals reflected a deep-seated belief in the celestial order and the community's need to align with it. The views of angels and demons in Second Temple Judaism had a profound and lasting impact on Christianity. Angelic appearances in the Gospel and Acts of the Apostles exemplify the continuation of angelology from this era. The Pauline Epistles, foundational texts of Christianity, bear the imprints of Second Temple Jewish angelology, particularly in the realm of eschatology. Early Christian theologians expanded upon these foundations, incorporating angels as central figures in the Christian theological framework. We have guardian angels, intercessors, celestial agents, all became integral to Christian thought, paving the way for a rich tradition of angelology and Christianity. This era itself gave rise to a tapestry of beliefs, from angelic hierarchies to the enigmatic world of demons. The legacy of these beliefs endured, shaping not only later Jewish traditions, but also the burgeoning realm of early Christianity. Today, in our contemporary context, these age-old views continue to inspire theological exploration contemplation, reminding us of the enduring allure of celestial beings in the human imagination. For this part of the episode, we're going to move on to angels and demons in the early Christian church, specifically the first four centuries. It's kind of the patristic age, the time of the church fathers. We get a lot of writings. Most of them come from bishops or church leaders who were writing to their local community explaining things deeper that are found in like the writings of Paul or the Gospels or any other epistle. They're really honing down on things and finding themselves in the world with the knowledge that was passed down from a, from Jesus to the apostles, to their successors, etc. And this is also a time when the early Christian church is really heavily under persecution. You have some really horrible emperors like Nero who are decimating Christian communities. The local populace is participating in the destruction and the death of 
thousands of people who convert to Christ, which means it's also the era of the martyrs. And I call to mind those individuals because many of them helped further define what an angel was, what a demon was in the supernatural world. We're going to talk a little bit about that information here in this podcast. And the aim is to explore these profound views and the evolving roles of angels and demons and showing that this is a fluid topic that changes with time, it changes with thinkers, and it goes to show that a doctrine as simple as saying that God created the angels and that some angels fell can be explored intellectually and discussed conversationally. This era of time in the first four centuries of Christianity witnessed the rapid growth and the development of Christian doctrine, enduring under the influence of the Second Temple Judaisms, plural Judaisms, on the early Christian beliefs. The early Christian church, angelology, the study of angels, was profoundly shaped by the foundational Christian scriptures. By the conclusion of many of the New Testament books right around 90 AD with the Gospel of John, those dates can be debated. What we're getting through the early church fathers is an introduction of angels as, a, as vital actors in the divine drama. From the Annunciation to the Virgin Mary, the star that guided the Magi, the resurrection and appearances of Jesus, the angels that appeared to the apostles as they watched Jesus ascend into heaven. We have angels serving as messengers, guides, and witnesses. And this information becomes integral to the narrative of the time. Early Christian theologians such as Origen and Pseudo-Dionysius elaborated on angelology by introducing the concept of a celestial hierarchy. They organized the angels into a structured hierarchy, and this hierarchy classified angels into different orders and emphasized their proximity to the divine. For example, the highest of the angels would be the seraphim, then the cherubim, all the rest, the thrones, dominions, archangels, guardian angels, regular angels. These are all in a hierarchy structured through these Platonic, Hellenistic ideas. The framework provided a sense of order and significance within the spiritual realm. These early Christians were adapting the information that they perceived within their local community as a mirror of the heavenly realms, that you had different orders within a hierarchy under God. It was the early Christian church who had introduced the concept of guardian angels who were seen as individual protectors assigned to guide and safeguard believers. As Jesus says in the Gospels that the angels given charge over the children stand before God. This idea that a child has their own angel grows larger and that these angels become personal intercessors. Angels are spirits who can intercede, such as a friend that you ask to pray for you. These angels are interceding on your behalf before God. And the belief in the guardian angel instilled a profound sense of comfort and reassurance within the Christian community that there was some kind of spiritual force that was fighting on their behalf against the spiritual forces. The early Christian church inherited and adapted demonological beliefs as well from Second Temple Judaism. That'd be the, the study of demons. And the demons are often associated with fallen angels or the disinherited spirits of the Nephilim called 
bastard spirits by some. The demons, these were considered malevolent forces opposing the divine plan. The persistence of demonic influences raised questions regarding the end of the world, the problem of evil, who God was. Now we're going to move on to the reality of something quite a bit serious in the spiritual world, and that's demonic possession and exorcisms. Talk very briefly on this. Demonic possession and and the practice of exorcism held a prominent place in the early Christian tradition. The Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles bear witness of instances of exorcism being performed by Jesus and his disciples. The early church believed that these rituals were necessary to combat the influences of the demons and restore spiritual well-being. And demonic influence became intertwined with the concepts of sin and evil. Demons were seen as tempting and seducing humans into sinful behavior. The early Christian church grappled with the nature of evil, seeking to reconcile the existence of these dark, sinister forces with the benevolent nature of God. And as time progresses, we get theological developments in angiology and demonology. We turn to St. Augustine of Hippo. He was a prominent theologian in the 4th century, played a pivotal role in shaping early Christian understanding of angels and demons. Specifically, Augustine's works titled City of God and On the Trinity offers us a comprehensive framework for understanding angels and demons within the early Christian context. In Augustine, he emphasized the incorporeal and spiritual nature of angels. He argues that angels were rational beings created by God and had free will. This understanding was integral to the development of Christian angelology. To know that angels were given the opportunity to choose God or not, and some of them, they didn't. Also has a doctrine on original sin, which he rooted in his interpretation of the fall of Adam and Eve, that all humans inherited a sinful nature. Demons, as seducers of humanity, played a role in this doctrine. The fall was attributed to the, the dark, sinister forces of, of the devil, leading to the corrupt state of humanity. The early Christian church itself began to incorporate angels into its liturgical practices. Prayers and hymns called forth the presence of angels and often emphasized their role as intermediaries between humans and the divine. The early Christians sought angelic intercession and protection for their religious life. This veneration of angels extended to Christian art and iconography. Angels were frequently depicted in religious art, often with distinct attributes to signify their roles, such as Gabriel with the Annunciation to Mary. These representations serve both a didactic and developmental purpose, reminding the faithful of angelic presence and significance. The views of angels and demons in the early Christian church from its inception to the 4th century were deeply influenced by Christian scriptures, theological developments, and the inheritance of demonological beliefs from the Second Temple Judaism. Angiology emphasized the role of angels as messengers, guardians, and guides, providing solace to the Christian community. Demonology, in turn, grappled with the malevolent influence of demons, sin, and the problem of evil. The theological contributions of figures like Augustine have left a lasting impact on early Christian angiology and demonology, shaping the understanding of angels as spiritual beings and demons as sinister forces. The veneration of angels in liturgy and art reflected the central role of these celestial beings, which played 
in the religious life of the early church. These ancient beliefs continue to resonate in contemporary Christian traditions, providing a bridge between the past and the present in the ever-evolving landscape of faith. The next part of our talk is going to be covering two maybe polar opposites in the angel-demonology debate. We're going to talk about Anselm, Anselm of Canterbury and Thomas Aquinas. And while I understand that there's a couple hundred years that are separating these two individuals, I find that both of these men are talking about debating things that are in the Christian mindset during their particular time periods. And this landscape between Thomas Aquinas in the Scholastic period and before that Anselm of Canterbury in the turn of the first millennium AD is these like separations of of thinking. But at the end of the day, the theological and philosophical landscape of angels and demons is marked by significant developments in Christian thought and scholasticism. This exploration will delve into the teachings and contributions of the two towering figures of this period. We'll start with Anselm of Canterbury, who lived from 1033 to 1109 AD. Anselm of Canterbury was a Benedictine monk and archbishop. He lived in a time of intellectual ferment. He's best known for his ontological argument for the existence of God. But his writings also shed light on angelology and demonology. Anselm's view of angels was deeply rooted in the Neoplatonic framework, and this is opposed to the Augustinian view, which was rooted deeply in Plato's teachings. Anselm believed that angels were immaterial and intellectual beings. Angels were created by God and existed in a celestial hierarchy, each having its own unique role in the divine order. Angels are pure intellects and had profound understanding of God and served as intermediaries between God and man. Anselm's writings reveal that this pivotal role angels played in the understanding of salvation and divine justice. He argues that angels witnessed and participated in the divine plan, serving as witnesses to the truth and justice of God's actions. Angels, for Anselm, were instrumental in the unfolding of God's redemptive plan for humanity. In contrast to his exalted view of angels, his teachings on demons focused on their fallen nature. He believed that demons were once angels who rebelled against God. This rebellion led to their expulsion from the divine presence, making them evil and sinister forces. Thomas Aquinas, who we're going to talk about now, lived from about 1225 to 1274 AD, and it's really the birth of this scholastic period the uh, Aristotelian works are becoming more prevalent, and they're being more widespread. And so Thomas Aquinas is deeply rooted in the Aristotelian form of thinking. And he's often regarded as one of the most influential theologians and philosophers in the history of Christianity. And his foundation was built upon stones laid by Anselm, Augustine, and others before him. He synthesized their works, including Anselm, and incorporated that Aristotelian philosophy into his theological framework. Aquinas's angelology is remarkable. He maintained that angels were immaterial, rational beings distinct from humans, 
Angels had no bodies, but possessed perfect intellect and had free will. Aquinas expanded the hierarchical model of angels, distinguishing nine choirs, with each having a specific function within the divine order. He argues that angels were messengers of God, guiding the universe according to divine providence. In his teachings on demons, Aquinas drew from earlier Christian tradition, particular Augustine. He asserted that demons were fallen angels who had chosen to rebel against God. This rebellion led to their expulsion from heaven and transformed them into the beings that we understand them to be from his perspective. Aquinas believed that demons were actively involved in tempting and seducing humans to sin. They were seen as agents of evil who sought to obstruct the divine plan. Aquinas placed great emphasis on the nature of evil in theodicy, grappling with the question of why a benevolent god allowed demons to exist and tempt humanity at all. Now, the teachings of Anselm and Aquinas significantly impacted the scholastic tradition of the Christian church. Their integration of philosophy and theology created this rich intellectual tradition that continues to influence Christian thought to this day and this particular podcast. Anselm's contemplation of angels and their role in the divine plan, along with this examination of the nature of demons, offered valuable insights into the theological landscape of his time. His works laid the foundation for later scholastic thought and contributed to the broader understanding of angelology and demonology. Aquinas' synthesis of Christian doctrine with Aristotelian philosophy led to a comprehensive system of angels and demons found in his book, The Summa Theologia. His discussions on demons and their role in human affairs remain influential in contemporary discussions to this day. These two remarkable thinkers each rooted in their intellectual contexts, provides distinctive insights into the nature and role of angels and demons within the Christian tradition. Anselm's Neoplatonic view of angels as intellectual beings and his exploration of the role in divine justice are emblematic of his era's contemplative theology. Aquinas and his scholastic synthesis refined and expanded on these ideas. His hierarchical classification of angels coupled with with a systematic examination of their attributes and functions, enrich the tradition of angelology. His teachings on demons and their role in human affairs continue to provoke theological and philosophical discussions today. And this means that the enduring influence of these two bastions in theology and philosophy is a testimony to the enduring relevance of their work. Their legacy extends beyond the medieval period, shaping the ongoing theological discourse of these celestial beings in modern Christian thought. And for the last part of this podcast, I'm going to cover the esoteric traditions from Hermeticism. I've done so in the last couple episodes, and I'm doing so to draw comparisons, correlations of two schools of thought one of which grew up out of Judaism, and the other one did not. And this means seeing how the occult world works, operates, and is facilitated, and how they view things of the esoteric, or I should say, of the mysterious. We're going to embark on a mystical journey through the lens of Hermeticism to explore the profound views of angels and demons 
Rooted in ancient wisdom and alchemical traditions, Hermeticism offers a unique perspective on these celestial and sinister forces. Our exploration will encompass the teachings and insights of Hermetic thought, leading us to a deeper understanding of these enigmatic entities. Hermeticism uh, stems from a corpus attributed to Hermes Trismegistus. I've mentioned that before. It's an ancient tradition that combines elements of Greek philosophy, Egyptian spirituality, and alchemical processes. It is rooted in the belief that there is a divine and interconnected unity within the cosmos. Remember how we talked about Christianity, Judaism being a monotheism. Hermeticism is a panentheism, a belief that God is in all things, that we are all God. Hermetic thought envisions a universe where everything is interconnected through divine intelligence. This interconnectedness is symbolized by the principle as above, so below, indicating that the microcosm, the individual, reflects the macrocosm, the universe. Angels and demons, in the hermetic perspective, play integral roles in maintaining the cosmic order. In hermeticism, angels are often seen as divine emanations. These celestial beings facilitate the flow of spiritual wisdom and guidance to those seeking higher knowledge. They're thought to assist in aligning individuals with divine truth and purpose. Hermetic thought acknowledges the angelic hierarchy, similar to Judaism. This hierarchy reflects the order and harmony in the cosmos. The higher-ranking angels possess greater understanding of divine principle, while the lower oversee more specific aspects of existence. Each of the angelic orders contributes to the cosmic harmony and sustains the interconnectedness of all things. They are the cause and facilitator of the panentheism. Hermetic practitioners believe in the presence of guardian angels, specifically called spiritual guides. These provide guidance and protection to individuals on their journey. In the Hermetic view, these spirit guides serve as companions, illuminating the path towards self-discovery and spiritual evolution. Hermeticism acknowledges the existence of demons as well, but their role differs from the entities of traditional Christian demonology. In Hermetic thought, demons are often seen as distorted forces, not inherently evil. They represent aspects of the human psyche or the cosmos that have fallen out of harmony and alignment with divine order. Hermetic alchemy, a core element of Hermeticism, involves the transformation and purification of the self in the universe. Demons, in this contrast, symbolize impurities, vices, negative traits that hinder spiritual practices and processes. The alchemical journey seeks to transmute these demonic, quote-unquote, elements into higher virtues and wisdom. They're not external forces, they are internal forces. Hermeticism places significant emphasis on inner alchemy, where individuals confront and transmute their inner demons. These inner demons represent personal struggles, fears, limitations that must be overcome to attain spiritual enlightenment and unity with the divine. Hermeticism seeks a harmonious balance between angels and demons, recognizing their essential roles in the cosmic order. One is to guide individuals towards enlightenment, the other are impurities within the person. The hermetic path is often likened to an alchemical journey, where one strives to transform the base 
crude elements of the self into spiritual gold. This process involves integrating the guidance of spirit beings, confronting inner demons, and achieving a state of spiritual harmony and enlightenment. To conclude this part of the episode, Hermeticism offers a unique and mystical perspective on angels and demons rooted in ancient wisdom. It's this tradition that envisions a universe interconnected through divine intelligence. Angels serve as messengers, guides, facilitating the flow of spiritual wisdom, while demons represent inner impurities and obstacles to spiritual growth, not external to the person at all. The Hermetic Path is a journey of inner alchemy, which seeks a harmonious balance between good and evil. To conclude the episode and bring it to an end, I want to say that the exploration of angels and demons from these various perspectives reveals a richness and diversity of human thought. From traditional Christian viewpoints to Hermeticism, we find common threads of unique insights in these celestial and malevolent beings. At the end of the day, the study is not confined to a single religious or philosophical framework. It offers a vast tapestry of ideas, each leading to our understanding of the spiritual and metaphysical dimensions of existence. These angels, depicted as guardians and protectors, fighting our spiritual battles against spiritual demons, and that there is evil in the world, all of these things are significant in Christian theology. Angels and demons are part of our concept of salvation and redemption. In short, the study of angels and demons serves as a testament to the depth and complexity of Christian theology. It reinforces the faith of believers and encourages us to live virtuous lives guided by divine principles. It also underscores the importance of prayer, faith, moral conduct in the ongoing spiritual journey. Well, I know that this was a shorter episode, and I went ahead and took a little bit of time there to talk about angels and demons from a handful of different perspectives. The intention was to give an introduction for the next couple of podcasts. The following podcast is going to be specifically about angels and some of the things that we know about them, particularly named beings that we find in scripture and a couple of other stories and myths that have come to us through the ages. The aim of this episode is to give a couple of pointers and to show that there are individuals who in the early church, Second Temple Judaism, and even within these hermetic orders believe in angels and demons. They're, they're part of the religious furniture of our belief system. They're part of the supernatural worldview. And I have a couple of words I would like to say at the conclusion of this episode. Humanity, following its tragic fall from grace, was tragically divided into two contrasting factions. On one side, there stands the steadfast group unwavering in the pursuit of truth and virtue. It's the earthly kingdom of God embodied by the true church of Jesus Christ. And to join this sacred fold and attain salvation, one must wholeheartedly dedicate their mind and will to serving God and His only begotten Son by obedience and faith through grace. Conversely, there exists the dominion of the sinister forces ruled by Satan, where those who emulate their diabolical leader reside. They reject the divine and eternal law, pursuing their own selfish desires often in defiance of God, and sometimes even actively opposing Him. Listeners, as we reflect upon the nature of humanity and its enduring struggle since the fateful fall from grace, the words spoken here resonate with profound significance. 
We find ourselves entwined in the complex fabric of existence, shaped by the interplay between light and darkness, virtue and vice, good and evil. In the narrative of our shared human experience, we have witnessed the tragic consequences of that ancient separation through the envy of the devil. This division, as described in those elegant words, has manifested in two distinct and opposing realms. It is essential for us to grasp the implications of this profound duality, for it illuminates the choices we make, the paths we tread, and the moral compass we follow. On one side we have the resolute champions of truth and virtue, those who steadfastly contend for these noble principles. This is the kingdom of God on earth, the true church of Jesus Christ, where the faithful seek unity and salvation through their unwavering dedication to belong to this sacred enclave they must wholeheartedly serve God and His only begotten Son with their minds and wills. The other realm, the kingdom of Satan, exists in stark contrast. It is a dominion inhabited by those who have heeded the fateful example of their leader. They have chosen to defy the divine and eternal law, guided instead by their own desires and ambitions, often in direct contempt of God, and sometimes even in deliberate opposition to His divine will. We are not mere observers of this age-old struggle. We are active participants in this grand narrative, standing at the crossroads of choice and consequence. Our choices shape the course of our lives and the destiny of our society. It is in this crucial moment within the confine we must consider the implications of these profound words and how they resonate in our lives. In this episode, we were presented with good, we were presented with evil. The central theme articulated in this episode reminds us of the ultimate choice that lies at the heart of human experience, the choice between virtue and vice, between the path that leads to unity with God and the path that leads away from Him. This is not just a choice of faith, but a choice that shapes the very essence of our humanity. As we reflect on these profound matters, let us also remember the power of redemption and the possibility of transformation. It is the human capacity to make amends, to choose the path of virtue, even after wandering in darkness. Furthermore, we are reminded that the kingdom of Satan is not just a place, but a state of being. It is a condition of the heart and mind that leads individuals away from the divine. The choices we make every day set a precedent, not just for individuals involved, but our entire society. We must decide which path we wish to chart for ourselves, which path we chart for our community. One that upholds truth and virtue, or one that allows darkness and vice to thrive. Our decision will ripple through the lives of countless others, influence the very moral fabric of our society. In conclusion, these words are designed to remind us that the fundamental choice between good and evil, virtue and vice, is the one that echoes through the annals of human history. It is a choice that defines our character, our destiny, and the legacy we leave behind. Let us remember the weight of our responsibility and the profound impact our decision will have on the lives of those around us. Thank you for listening. This is a free podcast and is based upon the value for value model. If you find value in this or any episode, you can return that value by liking the show, leaving a review, sharing with a friend on your social medias. You can also donate on my website, 
Thank you again. This is BT for Truth and Shadow Podcast. You are the light.